0: Hi there. This is Kathy with the Rock Your Retirement Show, and I have an important announcement. We'll be taking a sabbatical until January, 2020. If you'd like to stay in touch, head on over to rockyourretirement.com community and join our Facebook group. I'll be keeping in touch for the rest of the year in the Facebook group. In the meantime, you can go back to the episodes that you missed and catch up. But until January 2020, we'll be on hold. So I'll see you then on the Rock Your Retirement Show. Bye! This next episode came from the vault of Episode 109 where Steve Cousins. A Rock Your Retirement listener talks about how working and volunteering helped him feel useful in retirement. Enjoy!
1: The advice I'd have for people in their careers, if they're still working, is to don't just do your job. Don't just do that one thing that uh, is your prime center, but outside of your comfort on it, widen your horizons and, and to meet people, but be on any kind of local civic committee, some kind of a emergency Fire department thing, whatever. I, I just volunteered for everything and I got to know people. And yeah, it was a little extra work, but, but it made work more fun too.
2: Welcome to the Rocky Retirement Show. It's Kathy and I'm here with Steve Cousins. Steve is actually a listener to the show and so he knows about Mr. Grant. And Mr. Grant was, do you hear him now? So he was quiet all day. And then right before I got Steve here for the interview, He started just being a naughty little bird. So if you hear that in the background, I apologize, but um, there's really nothing I can do about it right now. (laughs) So Steve is actually retired now. He graduated from college. He went to work for an oil company and he worked there as an engineer. My husband's an engineer, so I kind of have the advantage of working with engineers. Um, And then eventually he became the vice president and general manager. He stayed with the same company for his entire career. How often does that happen? I mean, never. And then in 2016, he retired when he turned 60. And then he started doing things part-time. And he started also volunteering. And so we're going to talk to him a little bit about that because he's a real live listener and he's here to help you Determine what you want to do when you retire. So Steve, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Kathy. I uh I have that effect on birds, I want you to know.
2: <laughs> do you have a bird as well?
1: Actually, no. We've got a cat and th- two dogs.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> well, hopefully he'll be quiet. You know, it's funny because my bird, whose name is Mr. Grant, is actually in a soundproof, fairly large room. He's in a six by eight by four foot cage. And he's in this, I don't know what you call it. It's like in, I don't know. It's like a 12 foot. It's a small room. Like you couldn't, it couldn't be a bedroom, but it's, it's called our technology center. So regular people in our neighborhood actually use that to put all their equipment in and we use it to house my bird. And then we soundproofed it. So you can imagine how loud he is. If you can hear him through that soundproofing, he's very loud. I am jealous of that room. It would make a perfect podcasting studio. (laughs)
1: Well, you might have to move the
0: bird.
2: Well, he's been with me since 1990 and they live to be 85. So it's probably going to be a while. But if you're listening to this podcast and you're a bird expert and you'd like to add a bird to your flock, please reach out to me at podcast at (laughs) rockyourretirement.com. Okay, so back to you. So what made you realize when you retired that you didn't want to just go cold turkey and just stop working? What, what made you realize that?
1: Well, there were several things. I uh, had always thought I would work until I was 70 or later uh, because I had a tremendous lot, a lot of fun at work. I really enjoyed what I did. But then it changed. And the last couple of years, I did not enjoy it very much. But I hung on because, frankly, I was scared of retiring. I had several fears. What had, were you uh, What you
2: were afraid of? Yeah.
1: Well, I'd always heard that you shouldn't run away from something so that you had to run towards something. And that, that made sense to me. And if I was just leaving work because I didn't enjoy it anymore, that didn't mean that I was necessarily going to enjoy retirement either.
2: You know that you are wise beyond your years. <laughs>
1: Well, actually, I picked that up from your podcasts and and some others uh, that I started listening to when I started to ponder the whole concept. Uh, There were some other problems. One is, and I know it's crass and it makes me sound vain or petty, but uh, I had kind of looked at the compensation I got as a way of keeping score through my career.
2: I was right at
1: the point where I was making more money than I had ever made and it was kind of painful to think about walking away from you know when i finally was making what seemed like an outrageous amount of money to just turn my back and walk away it seemed uh, non frugal or i don't know it seemed like i'd worked really hard to get to that point and uh, to just walk away because i didn't need it mm-hmm. so that 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 kept me for a while and then the probably the main reason was that my job was my whole identity. Uh, We're we're in a small state, small southern state, and my company had been there for 100 years, basically. Everyone knew it. Uh, It used to have a retail location on every corner. And uh, I was the face of the company. I was the guy on TV, and I was the uh, person that the governor knew, and the other business leaders knew, and the Chamber of Commerce knew. And I... Enjoyed that notoriety, and and I thought of myself as as this guy that represents the company. And I, I really had a fear that if that left, that I might not there might not be anything else in me. I, I might not have any substance.
2: That happens, Steve. I mean, people leave their job, and then all of a sudden, people aren't returning their phone calls. So, did that happen to you, or do your part time jobs sort of keep you in that prestigious area? What, like, what what happened?
1: Well, I saw it happen to other people, and I just didn't want to go there. So I never really took a day off. I The last week of my employment, I announced a couple of months ahead of time I was leaving. But as it got close to the end, I set up uh, my first two side gigs, which were basically representing most of the other big business leaders in the state as my clients in a a couple of trade associations. And so, and I did that because I knew I could stay in touch with the same people. I would still be working with the governor. I would still be working with the agency heads and the senators and the legislators. And uh, uh, it just kind of happened. I was very lucky that that the need for that job appeared at the same time or very much providential.
2: So did you create these associations or did you just did you step in? Like, how did how did it happen?
1: Well, I had helped found them 30 years previously, and I was our company's representative on their boards. Because a couple of the board members had very flexible jobs, they could donate sometimes 20 or 30 hours a week to running the groups. We got by without any kind of paid director. Well, again, coincidence or luck of Providence, both of those guys left for retirement and health reasons right about the time that uh, I decided to retire. And so a new opening was there. I convinced the rest of the group that they weren't going to be stable and they wouldn't even function without a paid director and that they wouldn't find anyone that knew more about it than me since I helped found groups.
2: Oh, uh, that's I
1: just stepped right into it.
2: So you used your contacts that you made while you were working to create a whole new part-time job for after you retired?
1: Very much. And I had had that in the back of my mind for years. Uh, All the side gigs that I've got now are carryovers from things that I volunteered to learn how to do at work that didn't really enhance my career at work very much, but that I knew would be there someday if I chose to retire.
2: That's great. Okay, so, and this was what, uh, currently, it was approximately a year ago, is that correct? A year and a half. About a year and a half ago.
1: January of 2016.
2: Okay, so you went directly from working into the side gigs, or was there a a break? somewhere? There really
1: wasn't a break. I I went directly into it. Now, Now, that's those two trade associations. I've got two other side gigs that I do, and they came along later.
2: And what are those?
1: One of those is being an expert witness. And again, you can tell that I probably don't have a a, a self-esteem problem. (laughs) In fact, I was wearing a T-shirt yesterday my two daughters gave me that said, I may be wrong, but it's highly unlikely. (laughs) Imagine that I've got a bit of an ego issue there. And uh, so I had done some testifying for our company in litigation uh, lawsuits over the years and uh, had done a pretty good job of being able to convey to a jury in plain English what some highly technical things actually meant in terms of dollars and cents and right and wrong. And uh, one of the law firms that we had used in a huge lawsuit, tens of millions of dollars that worked out successfully for the company, Had a similar lawsuit uh, out west at another similar facility, and they called me up and said, "Would you like to be an expert witness? We really like like the way you testified uh, for your company." And so, for the last year, a little over a year, I have worked with them on that case.
2: And that's a good gig. My husband is an expert witness.
1: Yeah, it's it's highly paid and it's uh, it's very mentally uh, challenging.
2: That's what he says. yeah, it's very mentally challenging for him as well. So, for people who have a um, an expertise in an in an area, that's a great gig. It
1: is. It's it's kind of hard to get. You you've got to be a professional engineer, and and I'm a chemical engineer, and there aren't very many of us that get the professional license. And you also, you've got to have a little bit of a personality, and it, as you know, and as my sweet wife knows, engineers are not always blessed with the uh, <laughs> most friendly and most warm and fuzzy personalities but uh, uh you do have to be able to relate to the jury and they have to find you believable
2: absolutely so that's a good gig. now you said you had another gig what is that uh
1: that one is contract lobby during my career I, we didn't have a lobbyist uh for our company and so i volunteered to do that and uh Spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. I actually testified before both uh, House and Senate subcommittees. I've got a bunch of YouTube film of me being uh, uh, hammered by angry uh, senators and representatives since I was representing an oil company, and that's never fun. But Mm -mm. I actually love doing that. It was, Mm. uh, was, again, a big challenge. Wow. I also did that on the state level, and so now if somebody has a piece of legislation that— they think is, uh, has merit, and, and if I agree with them, and it doesn't conflict with any of my other clients, then I will take on the challenge of trying to convince legislators that this is something that they need to do.
2: That's great. Well, I am so glad that you were able to parlay your career into four mini-careers, basically. So that's what you did. Now, let me ask you another question. You retired. Now, you basically retired and they went straight into working for yourself. But did you still experience any of that depression or loss of identity that some people feel when they, especially when they have high powered jobs like yours that they feel, or did moving into those four mini jobs alleviate that?
1: I really expected to, I was certain I would, but I have not experienced any of that. I, I've never one, and I used to like going into work, but I've never one time have, uh, gotten up in the morning and thought, gosh, I wish I could go to the plant. <laughs> it just hasn't happened. Uh, I think the side gigs have a high concentration of the kinds of things I like the best and the uh, uh, and a very low concentration of the things I like the least about my old job. So I think they meet that need.
2: So that is one thing that I've be, you know, Ben recommending is that you figure out what you want to do before you retire, and it sounds like you did that. So it sounds like it works. You know, based on what what you're doing. So we are going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and find out more about what Steve Cousins has been doing since he retired from a high powered position and how he is uh, changed his life and is doing what he, you know, wants to do now, not sitting around, but also hasn't had any depression or anything that comes along with that, you know, a high powered person retiring. So we'll be right back after this break. Do you want to join in the conversation? Have a question that you need help with? Join our Facebook group. It's free and we have fun in there along with supporting each other. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash community and apply to be a member. Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm here with Steve Cousins, and he is a fairly recent retiree at this um, taping, about a year and a half ago, and he's been telling us how he was able to parlay his work experience into four mini jobs that allows him to stay mentally active, but still do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So, Steve, welcome back to the show.
1: Well, thank you. It's a lot of fun being here.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. So, not everybody can take their job and turn it into a lobbying position or some of the jobs that you have are still what I would consider to be high powered types of jobs. Do you have plans for when you start to slow down and you maybe physically or mentally can't keep up with these four side gigs? Uh,
1: Not specifically. I particularly pick these areas because I have seen other people do these jobs part-time well up into their eighties because they're not physically taxing. And while they're mentally Challenging. They're not, not of the same complexity that the old chemical engineering design work I used to do. So it, it's they're more relationship based and network based, and so I think I can continue to do these. You know, up until the point where maybe uh, ill health or something would step step into the way.
2: Okay, so these jobs were all based on the relationships that you built along the you know uh, along the years. Do you have any advice for the listener who maybe hasn't done what you did and they're kind of starting over? they don't really have the relationships, maybe they've moved to a new area of the country. Anything that you can think of that would give them a you know give them a starting point because you've obviously built up really great relationships over your career
1: well. If they're in financial condition, I know this show's not about money, but if, if they're if they're in a point where they don't need to earn money, and, and I don't need to earn any money, I just kind of like to, but <laughs> that's not a, a big value for them. And it's not for most people that, that are financially independent. I would probably focus on non-paid volunteer side gigs. I've got many more of those than I do of the paid gigs. I've got seven right now that are oh my
2: gosh. side
1: gigs that are, are non-paid. You-
2: It sounds like you're busier now than you were when you were working maybe with seven volunteer jobs and four side gigs. Tell me about your volunteer work.
1: Well, I I chair the board of trustees for our our local community college. And that's a pretty, that was two hours Monday and it'll be all day Friday. We've got a retreat. So that, that's appointed by the governor. So it kind of ties into my career, but it's, uh, you're responsible for for the entire college and it's $14 million budget and uh, hiring the president, uh, approving the contracts, and so it's, uh, it's uh, but, but it's, it really makes a difference because, I mean, I can just tell you a quick story about one of the students that came through there. She, her name was Maria. She came into this country illegally, speaking no English at 16. Uh, she was starving to death in Mexico. She ended up few years later, had a bad marriage, an abusive spouse, got divorced, ended up in our small town as a maid. And the lady she was working for just drug her down to the college and made her get her GED. And she got it. And she she found out going through the class, she was very bright when she had enough to eat. She just was starving in Mexico. She saw some of the students there that were getting their licensed practical nursing credentials, She said, I can do that. And she got her LPN. Then she got her RN. And she got her Bachelor's of Science in RN. Then she got her PhD in nurse practitioner. And uh, she is just doing great. And this is somebody making minimum wage with a green card. And now she is a very highly paid professional doctor, basically.
2: That is awesome. I bet that her original employer is probably so proud of the change that she was able to make with Maria. So now if somebody can't be the trustee of a college, are there other volunteer opportunities for just rank and file type employees that, that, you know, or retiree, retired employees that where they could go volunteer to college?
1: Uh, there are plenty of opportunities for that. I, I also am on a local foundation, uh, uh I, I volunteer on a steering committee for a uh, low income hospital clinic that, uh, helps people that uh, either are underinsured or not insured or are out of work and uh, has full medical and dental care. That
2: and, you is know, awesome.
1: that's huge for people that they don't have to go to the emergency room in our town. They can come to our clinic and get treated. And and it, we're staffed half by volunteers. There. You, you
2: so, know, that is so important. People, people don't realize that Funding and volunteering at the local clinics can make such a big difference in your community. Um, You know, I used to be on the board, uh, actually the fundraising board of a local clinic where I live. I did that for several years. And, you know, regardless of what political affiliation you have, just think about it this way. If the person in the restaurant that you go to doesn't have medical care, then you're more at risk of being sick yourself because you're eating at a restaurant with somebody sick. So having the medical care is important, not just to the person getting the care, but to all of us, the entire community. So kudos on doing that. And there's plenty of volunteer opportunities at those clinics, whether it's stuffing envelopes when they're doing a, a campaign or or whatever. So I agree with you. Get involved in, in those type of activities. So you said there were seven you've covered, too. What else do you do?
1: Uh, let's see. I'm, uh, I'm uh, active at the state and the local chamber of commerce so now that I'm a private, uh, self-employed businessman. And uh, that helps with networking. But, you know, you get to work on economic development projects and, and uh, support some of the same legislation. A lot of these things tie together.
2: Mm-hmm. with
1: what i do for paid work too Absolutely. i also work with university our state university that i got my chemical engineering degree from i was not one of their better students at the time i was pretty lazy and they're amazed that i succeeded at anything <laughs> <laughs> some of the same professors are still there but uh they love love me now <laughs> and, and my help because i'm on the advisory board for the department and and on a Another advisory group. We mentor students. You know, we help them learn how to uh, interview for jobs. uh,
2: That's awesome. We advise
1: curriculum and we fund special projects for individual professors uh, to help them out with their their teaching.
2: That's great.
1: It is fun and it keeps you in touch with the young people. You know, a network can get stale if if you're not adding to it all the time. A lot of the people that were my mentors are. Long since retired, and many have long since passed. And so now my network, I'm adding millennials and Generation Xers to it.
2: Right, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's funny because as we interact with the different generations, we realize that there are some differences, obviously, between the generations, but there's also a lot of commonalities. And so I'm glad that you're reaching out to the other generations because. It's so important that we learn about each other and get along because we have to pass the baton down to them.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Yes.
1: And and I've always enjoyed uh, people younger than myself, the, the energy and uh, you know the new ideas. Now, the one thing I've left out completely, which is really the most important part of my life, is my relationship with my spouse, because it sounds like all I do is work and volunteer, but... Most weeks, I can pack all that into about half a week, and the other half is spent mostly with her. We are uh, very active. We're both distance runners. We both play competitive tennis on teams and tournaments. And, uh, we stream hike, and we, we off-road ride in an overall horsepower buggy. We fish together. We ski together. Uh, we search out hidden waterfalls, and we travel just about everywhere we've been doing that for about 39 years now and counting. So
2: that's great. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of sad that so many marriages wind up in divorce after retirement because people don't know what to do with each other. You know, they were working 80 hours a week and, you know, the, the wife goes in one direction, the husband goes in another. And then when they're all of a sudden together all the time, they don't, you know, the relationship has changed. So I'm so glad that you didn't fall into that trap with your own wife.
1: I, I think the, the side gigs and the volunteer work helps because I'm not sure anyone could stand me for, you know, 120 <laughs> hours a week, <laughs> but <laughs> we spend a lot more time together than we did in the past. And, uh, uh, you know, just things like cooking together now that I never had time to do. We do that blue apron thing. And, you know, even somebody inept like me can feel like he's a half a chef,
2: So <laughs> That's great. Did you have any conversations when you were planning your retirement? Did you talk with your wife about what you were physically going to be doing or were you like most retirees where you just kind of winged it?
1: Well, I, I talked to her. I mean, had she been uncomfortable with, with uh, me leaving full-time employment and it had preferred for me to just go to a different job at a different company, then I would have had to seriously consider that, and probably that's what I would have done. She was, she said, "Look, just we've got enough money, and just need to do what you want to do." And I talked over the side gigs and things with her, and she thought, "You know that that sounds like you." So she gave me a lot of good counsel. That's she knows great. me probably better than I know myself. So.
2: Well, you've been married for thirty nine years, so sounds like you kind of grew up together. Well,
1: we did, and even you know, I'm I kind of am a. I maybe overplanned things even before we got married. I made sure she knew how to play tennis, she knew how to fish, you know, all the things <laughs> that we still do, because I thought, you know, we're going to be together forever. We need to have some common hobbies, and she she loves all that, so the only problem is she can outrun me.
2: Now. Uh-oh. Just,
1: I used to be faster than her, but now I'm struggling to keep up.
2: The student surpasses the teacher, so that, that happens. <laughs> Okay, so we had gotten through four of your volunteer activities through the university. And then what are the other, what, three? Yeah, you said you had uh,
1: Well, there were two chamber ones, uh, local and the state. I okay. was counting those two. two. Oh, There's yeah. also a, a group called 50 for the Future, which is a, a local group where people donate their own money to do uh, projects for the city uh, that would benefit the community. The things the city or you know, the county can't really afford to fund. And so I'm also in that group and on that board. And uh, we can do things like studies to figure out how to solve problems in the city or improve things. And uh, uh, that's kind of interesting, too.
2: Yeah, it sounds like all of your volunteer and all of your side gigs, they all come together like a spider's web. They're all interconnected.
1: They do. And I I think the advice I'd have for people in their careers, if they're still working, is to don't just do your job. Don't just do that one thing that uh, is your prime center. But, you know, outside of your comfort zone, I was terrified of public speaking in in junior high school and high school. But once I stepped outside of the boundaries and and faced it, you know, I acted and I did TV shows and, I, you know, and and, and, uh, have spoken before thousands of people. And I just eat it up now. It's so much fun. But that guy, if he hadn't stepped out of his comfort zone, would have never made it through this podcast. I wow. was so shocked.
2: So just by stepping out and starting, what did you start with, the public speaking or the acting? Or-
1: <sighs> yeah, I volunteered. Well, I volunteered. At, what I started on at work was I volunteered to represent the company at the Rotary Club. I volunteered to lead elementary school tours through, through the plant. Or to go on career day, just anytime there was any opportunity to practice speaking and to meet people, to be on any kind of local civic committee, some kind of a emergency fire department thing connected to the to our plant, or whatever. I, I just volunteered for everything, and I got to know people. and uh, And yeah, it was a little extra work, but, but it made work more fun too, because. I didn't just have to do the same thing every day. I had a really varied career.
2: Right. And it gave you opportunities after your career was over to yeah, do what yeah. you're doing now.
1: Because just a chemical engineer, once he retires, there's not many people in our town that are going to hire a chemical engineer for chemical engineering. It's just a little too arcane. Exactly. But, you know, the expert witness thing's an exception. But even that, I'm not really on the stand as an engineer as much as I am as a guy that understands how businesses work. You can explain to the jury.
2: And you think your public speaking helps you with with that as well?
1: Oh, it did. Being able to communicate with the group, and read the audience. You know, the jury is just a is just a group of uh, eleven or twelve uh, people listening to public speaking, and you've got to know if you're being effective or if they're turning you off.
2: Did you ever join Toastmasters to help perfect perfect some of your speaking skills?
1: No, I did. Uh, Dale Carnegie instead.
2: Oh, okay. It's so
1: similar. My dad had given me that. Dale Carnegie, uh, Win Friends and Influence People book in junior high. And I loved it then. And that's when I started breaking out of my shell. because so I realized you don't have to be born with that gregarious outward reaching. You just have to learn the processes and follow them. And everybody will think you are outgoing.
2: You can actually do that at any age. You know, some yeah. of the things that is going around the um, sort of the circles with, that I hang out in. Are people are going to improv classes, and that's helping their interpersonal relationships and their public speaking. Just going to these classes where they teach you how to do improv. Are, are they doing that where you live as well?
1: It's a pretty small town. They don't have that right now, but I have read that and seen that, and I think that would be a lot of fun because I, I am, I do, I, don't, I hate to say I'm funny, but <laughs> but I have always been able to in, in make up. Appropriate you're, comments. You're quick on your speech.
2: feet. You're fast on your feet. Quick on your feet, or whatever.
1: And I had a good sense of humor. I find everything funny in life, almost. And so I think that would be pretty good. And and maybe uh maybe would develop some skills a little different than Toastmasters or uh, Carnegie. Right. But that's all good. All that is really good. And and the people I met in that Del Carnegie course thirty five years ago, some of them are still very good friends. So.
2: Well, I have to tell you, I am. Um, when my husband and I first uh, got married, we, we, jo- you probably know this if you listen, it, we joined a couple of meetup groups, and that's where we found some of our friends. Well, in one of the groups that we joined, which was not for couples, it was for, you know, just everybody could join, there was a gentleman in that group, and he was kind of shy and he was overweight. And, he joined, he started taking improv and I followed him on Facebook and he started losing weight. He's he's probably lost 40 or 50 pounds and now he smiles all the time. He has this, you know, social life that probably is revolving around the improv. I mean, it has completely changed his life. So learning how to publicis, publicly speak, um, taking the Dale Carnegie, taking Toastmasters, taking a um, an improv class, it could, you're never too old. I mean, you can take these things at any time. So, I'm so glad you brought that up.
1: And everybody, I think, has that in them—that ability to be just way better and to feel much better about themselves than they do. And you know, the sad thing is, some people get pushed out of their comfort zone, or a friend reaches in and helps pull them out, and and they blossom. They become just exceptional people, like. Most of your guests, not maybe not this one, but <laughs> other people, I think, stay trapped in that shell their whole lives. And it's really a tragedy.
2: It is a tragedy. So we are actually coming up to the end of our time. If there was one piece of advice that you would give to your fellow listeners, what would that be?
1: Well, it's too late for most people. <laughs> I would say marry someone better than yourself <laughs> and invest <laughs> a lot of time in that relationship because... Really, uh, if everything else went away and, and we still had each other, we'd be fine.
2: Oh, that is but, so heart. That's touching. I love the fact that you said that. And you were about to say something else, and I interrupted you. Well, so, what else were you going to say?
1: From the other standpoint, I'd say widen your horizons. And just, I would have never figured out that I even liked to do things like lobbying or witnessing at trials. I hadn't volunteered to be the one to try it. And and some of the things I volunteered for, I, no doubt, I didn't enjoy, and I stop doing them. But but all the things I'm doing now, none of them were part of my core job. They're just things I found by accident and realized hey, I like that. I'm pretty good at that. And I think if people will constantly be reaching outside of their small world to the bigger world that no matter what they are, that if they're a carpenter, they're a truck driver, they're still going to find things that they're good at. Uh, you know, maybe teaching a Sunday school class at He knows what it might be, but they're going to be be things they can do after they retire that will give meaning to their life and, and variety to their life.
2: I love it. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the Rock Your Retirement Show. We really, really appreciate it. And for my listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye. right now now if you're listening on your computer you can listen on your smartphone by going to apple podcasts google play stitcher podcast addict iheartradio spotify i mean i believe on all of them if you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app but basically what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it you'll hit subscribe make sure it's the rock your retirement show and that you hear my voice when you listen um actually There were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show, uh, when he decided to leave podcasting number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is, or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course we're shooting for those five star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for... Other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money, and of course, by now you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com/support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.